Now, we're skipping in, if you're following along, it says video. I kind of pulled the video out. But we're going to get into the message this morning, the teaching. Um, Today we're going to take a look at the book of Jude. And uh, Jude is one of the most overlooked and probably one of the most fascinating books in all of the New Testament. Um, I I hope some of you actually read it. It's only 23 verses. It doesn't take very long to do that. Now, I could spend uh, weeks preaching from this book. I mean, I have have all kinds of notes already on the sermons I could have done on Jude today. uh, Or at least, at the very least, I could preach a really, 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 really long sermon today. I did notice uh, last week that church here lasted 39 minutes, (laughs) including the sermon. It lasted 42 minutes, I think, out of praise and worship. So I've got a lot of stuff to talk about today. But today, uh, we're going to just take a deep dive in this. I'm going to make a few observations about, uh, about this book, uh, about the book of Jude. And hopefully you've read it. And if you haven't, go ahead and read it. It doesn't take that long. But one of the things that I, I've noticed as I read and reread and studied this book is Jude in, in the second chapter of Second Peter are so similar. It made me wonder, I wonder who influenced who? Now, I don't have the answer to that question. It's just a, a thought that came across my mind. The second thing is, Jude actually quotes from two books of the Bible in quotations that are not in the Bible. And a lot of people go, what the heck is going on here? Because he quotes from the Assumption of Moses. How many of you read that one? I've read that one. That's kind of interesting. He also quotes from First Enoch. You all know that book of the Bible, right? And we just kind of go, hold it, this guy's quoting stuff that's not in the Bible. Now, these books, I have to tell you, were very popular to all of the people that he was speaking to. They would have known exactly what he was talking about. The third thing that I noticed going through this is that just like Jeff makes all of these Old Testament <laughs> references, so does, so does Jude. Uh, he mentions someone by name, knowing that his readers will immediately know what he's talking about. For example, as you read through in verse 1 of this book, he refers to the way of Cain, the uh, error of Balaam, the rebellion of Korah, knowing that his readers will be immediately familiar with what he's talking about. Now, today, most of us will go, uh, duh. <laughs> Can we ask questions in talk back time and ask what was Balaam's sin? What was his error? Um, and, and who in the heck are Korah and why did he rebel? But everybody who heard that figured it out. The fourth thing is he really gets right to the point of this entire book. And this is kind of the subject for today. And this is in verse three. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share... I felt I had a right and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. Now, if you've not read it yet, what you're going to find out was he really wanted to talk about salvation. But some nasty stuff was happening in this church. This is his urgent message. He wanted to celebrate salvation, but there was something going on in that church. And here's the urgent part. There there were some people who kind of weaseled their way into this community of believers, and they were tearing the church apart. Uh, Not just by teaching false doctrine or bad doctrine, but kind of promoting what we'd call an immoral lifestyle. 
So Jude is writing out to a bunch of people, hoping on several different levels that those people who are sincere in their faith would understand what's going on. And at the same time, the people who were causing all the problems would say, oh, my gosh, he's talking to us and would change their ways. So he doesn't beat about about the bush as he goes through this. He pulls no punches. He makes it very clear that what's happening in this little church. And when I read all this, I thought, oh, God forbid it ever happened in this little missional community. That this is a matter of eternal life and death. Now, what was the problem? Well, the problem was not that these individuals were emphasizing minor little uh, doctrinal differences like, you know, the mode of baptism. Do we dunk or dip or splash or whatever? He's not talking about styles of worship, whether it's contemporary or whether it's liturgy, whether you use the hymnal or whatever. They were attempting to sabotage the very foundation of the Christian faith as it had been taught by Jesus and then by his disciples. They were attacking the character of God. They attacked the nature of God, the work of Jesus, the meaning of his death. They attacked his resurrection. And you probably go, wow, I think I could spot that real easy if that started happening here at Restore. But these guys were sneaky little buggers. They just kind of kept in the back door and just began introducing things a little bit at a time and began to cause the congregation to split. They were attacking, uh, really basically attacking the doctrine of grace and mocking God's call to holiness. Jude says they changed the grace of our God into a license for immorality. Now, they didn't teach that God calls us to holiness, but sometimes we struggle with sexual sin and we need his grace and mercy to help us experience victory. He said, now, they weren't teaching that. Instead, they were saying, you know what? Sexual sin no longer exists. And the reason is because of God's grace, you've all been forgiven of all of your sins and you can do whatever your body wants to do because you're all covered by grace. Now, you stop to think about that for a while. If that applies to sexual sin, which they brought up here, then it comes and affects just about everything that you and I believe. You only have to tell the truth, for example, if it's convenient because your lie has already been covered by grace. Or you can be racist or elitist, and you can be selfish, but that's okay because it's all been covered by God's grace. Or you can be dishonest, you can use people, you can abuse people, but that's okay because it's already all been covered by God's grace. Or it's all good. Now, I hope all you, you all understand that's all wrong. That is not all good. Now, one of the most wonderful things about being a Christ follower is that it teaches us that it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done or how many times you've fallen or how ugly your sin was, you can still be forgiven, made right with God and given a new life in Jesus because our God is what? He is a God of mercy. There's always a but here. And understand this. There are some people who hear this wonderful truth and then will twist it to the point where they say, well, evidently that means the rules don't apply to me. Some of it, some people use it to justify an immoral lifestyle. Some use it to justify gossip in the church. Some people selfishness or laziness. And they say, well, because of God's grace, I can do whatever I darn well please. And Jude goes... 
<laughs> that ain't the way it works. And then he gives several examples to show the consequences. He reminded them about how God took the children of Israel out of Egypt, delivered them from Pharaoh, through the Red Sea, fed them, gave them meat and bread, but still ignored him and thought they could do whatever they wanted to, like making a golden calf and worshiping them, or not following God's anointed leader, to the point where God finally says, this generation, those people who came out of Egypt, they're all going to die in the desert. And the people who get into the promised land will be the next generation. He also reminded them of the angels. Remember all, one time all the angels in heaven? He said there were some angels in heaven who did what? They rebelled. And they abandoned their positions of authority. And God says, can't be here anymore. Threw them into darkness. He reminded them of Sodom and Gomorrah. Maybe you know that story. Uh, I mean, they could have been saved. I mean, when you get the argument, well, what if, what if there are 20 people that are God? No, there weren't. Uh, they unanimously gave themselves over to sexual immorality. And so Judah's saying that there are consequences to our behavior. God pours out his mercy on all people, all of us here today. But when his people take the attitude that says, this means the rules don't apply to me anymore, God is sure to send us a wake-up call. So Judah's telling his readers, watch out for deceivers. That's why we want to disciple people. That's why we want to put people into the Word so that they know what the Word of God actually says. He said, these people are headed for destruction in their own lives, and if you follow and you don't, aren't aware of good, sound, biblical teaching, you're going to experience the same thing. And then he says something about these people. He called them godless. And I find that kind of interesting. They're in the church. They're church members. And he considers them godless. Now, if you look at the Greek language, the Greek word translated godless means a person who fails to worship. Well, if you fail to worship God, who are you worshiping? Yeah, you're either yourself or, even worse than that, maybe Satan or the combination of the two. Um, they may have a relig quote, religious life, uh, but they don't have a devotional life. They don't have a surrendered life. They don't have a yielded life. They would be, I, read, I saw a book title a number of years ago, it's called Christian Atheists, which seems kind of odd. People who profess to be Christ followers, but really have no idea who Jesus really is. Um, that's what Jude is talking about. Another red flag Jude brings up, he says, these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand. I was, prone, I was almost ready to say, it reminds me of a lot of politicians today. They're always, again, whatever they don't understand. Don't, don't confuse me with the truth. My mind is already made up. We hear a lot of that today. And so as a result, anything that people brought up in the church, they would beat down. There, there, was, there, there was no room for exploring ideas, no opportunities to gather like a men's group and discuss or debate differences of opinion about certain things. If you didn't agree with them... You were an idiot. And don't they did not bother to mask their contempt for people like, what, you don't understand this? You know, we figured it all out. And they made it miserable. They tend to be all talk and no action. Actually, Jude says they are clouds without rain, trees without fruit. And he goes on and says, 
this group of people that found their way in the church were a bunch of grumblers and fault finders. And the Greek used here refers to the kind of perfectionists for whom nothing was ever good enough for them. They're going to gripe and they're going to complain and they're going to criticize everything. Now, there's a part of me, since I've pastored really large churches in the past, guess what? Been there, seen that, done that. Worst of all, Jude says, when that happens, these are the kind of people who are not there to unite you in Christ. They are there to divide you. They come in and they create divisions. They're tearing the church apart, uh, putting, putting one group against the other. Now, a lot of churches have to deal with this in person. So Jude says, all of us need to be aware of those kinds of things. But even though he goes into a great deal of detail about the kind of problems, he said the purpose of the letter is not to get you to point your finger at other people and be critical of them. After all, you've heard me say this before. We are not called to be condemners. We are called to be gospelers. See, the purpose of this letter is if there's any point of division, we are to contend for the faith in our own personal life. Now, three weeks ago, if you can remember back that far, uh, you may recall a message from 3 John, which was called Choosing Influences. This book might just as well be called Excluding Influences, Who You Shouldn't Listen To. And, And so that's a pretty long introduction, so I'm going to get to the three points I want to make today. Here's the very first point and how to contend for the faith. And number one is, don't let anyone get between you and Jesus. Look at verses 17 and 19. Dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. Kind of sounds like 2022. Of course, it sounded like that in 2021, too. In fact, it sounded like that ever since they walked out of the Garden of Eden. These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. Now, probably all of you are aware of the term cult and cult leaders. Cult leader is a person who eventually takes the place of Jesus. I mean, the the day you see me walk in and, and it says restore Barry, I know more than God knows. And you need to listen to what I have to say. You realize you're going to be in the cult, the the, the cult, cultism, or whatever we want to call it. Uh, the cult leader, his his word becomes the final word. Following him tends to be more important than following anyone else. Now, let's be honest. We often put leaders on a pedestal, no doubt about it. We give them more power and influence than they deceive. They they probably deserve. And like you, it breaks my heart whenever I see a leader fall. It breaks my heart, but it doesn't change what I believe about Jesus. Now, sadly, I've heard, I've heard this in the last year. I'm not a Christian anymore because some other Christian, Christian cheated me. Or some preacher ran off with the, I don't know, the church secretary or the organist. Or some, I, I had to leave that church because that church was just plain simple full of hypocrites. Now, those, are, those things are terrible. There's no doubt about that. But I'm not going to let them change how I feel about Jesus. See, God forbid, I mean, 
I mean, if tomorrow on television and all the stations, if all the well-known preachers in this world got together and renounced their faith, I'd be sad for them. But it wouldn't change what I believe about Jesus. Not at all. See, my hope is not built on any denomination. In spite of the fact that I grew up in one. Uh, my hope is not built on any particular church or on any particular preacher. My hope, well, <clears throat> we probably could have sung this today. Maybe we were going to sing it today. I don't know. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. See, friends, G- Judah's telling us don't let anything get between you and Jesus. Make sure that he's the center of your life. Walk with him. Talk with him. Don't let anything or anyone get in your way. Now, here's the second thing he's going to tell us. Don't let anything get between you and spiritual discipline. That's the next one. Look at these verses. Verse 20. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. So, how do you build yourself up? Well, I'm going to give you five things in a little bit. But it's worship. It's serving others, it's fellowship with other Christians, it's Bible study, it's prayer. And as you devote yourself to prayer, and as you immerse yourself in the knowledge of Scripture, as you spend time in God's presence just in worship, if you hang out with fellow believers who share that same common faith with you, uh, and you are practicing some sort of service outside the building you happen to be worshiping and fellowshipping in, kind of like Restore, you're going to become more rock solid in your faith. Uh, you'll be able to spot deception at a glance. You'll know when to exclude people with negative comment, comments. But I want you to know, Jude says, build yourself. That means you. That means you and I are responsible, really, for our spiritual growth. Uh, as your pastor, uh, I'm going to do what I can. And when I'm not here, Jeff's going to do what he can to help build you up in your faith and your knowledge of Scripture, but it's really up to you to drink. That's why Jude says, build yourself. And then he says, keep yourself in God's love. Now, earlier he said, we are kept by Jesus Christ. And at the close of the letter, he said, Christ is able to keep us. But right here he says, keep yourself. In other words, you have a certain responsibility of growing. Now, I've been a Christ follower my whole life. I just, I know no other life. I don't have any testimony about how I was born an evil, wicked, bad, and nasty criminal or whatever. I've, I've just always been in the church. I've always had faith in Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm thankful for that. But I cannot emphasize enough how much these five disciplines uh, have meant to me. And I think the five disciplines, these five things, what they mean to me. Prayer. Engaging God daily in prayer. Bible study. Fellowship. Koinonia word again. Worship and service, and no doubt you could expand that list. But what I've noticed in my own life is if, if I neglect one of those, and sometimes I've neglected all five of those for a period of time, I've paid the price for it. I, I can tell it in my spirit when that happens. But I'm just saying, don't let anything get between you and these basic disciplines of your Christian life. Now, here's the third point that he's trying to teach you. Don't let anything get between you and a life of mercy, or I call it service. This is where it kind of hits the 
the ground as far as restore. He says in verse 21, Keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. See, Jude says this because we all need God's mercy. And we do. The mercy of, mercy of God. And who is the, on the receiving end of mercy? Well, if you know the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, verse 7, it says, uh, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And so for this reason, Jude continues here, Keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. And as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life, do what? Be merciful to those who doubt. Not everybody has this faith that says, you can't shake me from this. There are a lot of other people that yeah, Doc, that all sounds really interesting. I, I kind of get what you're saying, but they're out here. Snatch others from the fire. Save them to others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. See, there are times when Christian friends question their faith and stumble. You've all had a Christian friend, I'm sure, that stumbled at one time or another. What do you do with them? Show mercy. There will be times when your friends do more than stumble. (laughs) They'll fall right in the mud. They'll get themselves dirty and they're slow to get back up. And and then there are some friends who, (laughs) well, you don't judge them. You show mercy. You reach down and pick them up. And there are going to be people who don't stumble or fall. There are some people who really enjoy wallowing in the mud. They're like a hog in slop. They dive in the mud. They thrash around in it. They're covering themselves with it. Now, guess what? We don't judge those people either. That's not our job. Show them mercy. Not easy. We don't let them pull us down. Instead, we gently, carefully pick them up. And Jude is saying that every person you know deserves mercy. That's part of the core of what Restore is all about. doesn't make any difference who you are, where you've been, what you've done. We're all broken. We can show mercy and help restore people. Every time you give, every person you you meet, you can give a hand up to. Christian life is really a life of mercy. So that's what this urgent letter of Jude is all about. It's the urgency of responsibility. What is our responsibility as Christ followers? Well, you're responsible for yourself. He's already told us that. You're responsible for what you think, what you believe, who you listen to, what you do. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, it's your job to keep Jesus alive in your life. By the power of the Holy Spirit, it is the, it's your job to be consistent in spiritual disciplines, worship, Bible study, prayer, fellowship, etc. By the power of the Holy Spirit, it's your job to show mercy to the world around you as you await the full expression of God's mercy in your life. In an odd way, Jude kind of wraps it up and says, you know, it's up to you. Contend for the faith. And then he ends up with a beautiful doxology. And it's from verses 24 and 25. I think I have those up there. I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, never mind. They're going to be at the end of the service today because I'm going to use the same benediction. But this is what he writes. To him who is able to keep who? You from falling. And to present who? You 
before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen.